the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Well, hey, it's great to see you this morning. If you're joining us online, thanks so much. Hey, question for you. Do you have you ever been reading your Bible and you come to a verse and it jumps out at you and you're like, if that verse is really true, then I need to really think about how I'm living my life. Or maybe you come to a verse where you're like, you know what, if, if, if I could just take that verse out of the Bible right now, I'd just take it out. And, and for me, a, a verse like that is, is found in Luke chapter 12 and verse 48. What's happening is Jesus is telling a story, kind of talking about what's going to happen when he returns and how Jesus wants to come and find his followers faithfully serving him when he returns. And, and then it wraps up like this. He says, and everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will be demanded the more. And you might have just heard the simple version, to whom much is given, much is required. And so this verse is sobering to me when I think about it. This verse is sobering to me because I realize that I have been given much more than many. And so this verse is really a part of a trifecta of verses. That when I read them it, and I think about it deeply, it, it causes me to think some sober-minded thoughts and part of me wishes they just weren't in there. So there's this verse, too much is given, much is required. And a couple of verses found in Matthew 19 where Jesus says it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. And then in that same chapter where, where, where Jesus says that the, many of the first shall be last and many of the last shall be first. Because I, I recognize that if I'm, if I'm just being honest, I, I've been given more than, than most. I, I'm richer than most. And many times in life, I've been the one that's gone first. And, and, and so here, here's the truth. That a whole lot of life really it comes down to really three questions. Where were you born? When were you born? And to whom were you born? And the truth is this, for most of us in America, most of us in South Reno, in many ways, we are among the most advantaged people who have ever lived. In many ways, we're among the most advantaged people who have ever lived. And so for me, I recognize because of where I was born, and when I was born, I've just been given some distinct advantages. I've never had to wonder in life about where I'm going to get clean water to drink. And, and, and now listen, I, there's clean water everywhere here. Now, not all water tastes as good as other water. I've come to the strong belief that I believe a, a good iced water from Starbucks is just some of the better water. I mean, I'll go and buy my daughters a coffee just so I can get the free venti ice water. Now, some of the Starbucks have been cutting on to me, and now they're only giving you small ice waters. I never go back to those ones. And, but I've never had to wonder about clean ice, clean water. Now, when I was in Kenya a number of years ago, where we were building a school and a church and children's home, there it was very common for, for kids, as, as, as soon as they were old enough to be, to be strong enough to carry jugs of water, they would have to drop out of school 
And because their job then became to, to walk the two, three, four, five miles necessary to get water that was cleaner than the water they had access to or closer to where they lived. It still wasn't clean by, by, our, by our scale, but they would walk two or three, four, five miles to get some water, carry these big giant jugs and then carry it back. And where that really took up about half their day to where they'd have to drop out of school. But because of when I was born and where I was born, I've never had to worry about clean water. I've never had to worry about healthcare. I've never had to worry that if there was a tragic accident, would I be able to go somewhere where there would be some good health care? And we were in Mexico on a mission trip a number of years ago. And in this little village, there was no cell service and there was no health care for miles and miles and miles. And I just laid there one night and I thought, if something happened tonight, what would we do? And the reality that dawned on me is what we would do would be what most of the world still does and what all of human history people would have done. We just would die. Like, oh, if something happens not, I guess we just die. But I've never had to worry in America about access to health care. And I, I've never had to worry, is there going to be a school for my kids to go to? But because of where I was born and when I was born, I got to go to good schools. And, and now we just know stuff because of when we were born. Now, to, if you were growing up 20 years ago, 25 years ago, like, like me, you're growing up. And, and back then, if you ask your parents a question about something in the world, nine times out of 10, they're just gonna say, I don't know. Or they might make up an answer and you have no way to tell if they're lying or not. <laughs> or they might say, hey, go and check out those 20-year-old encyclopedias we have in those shelves. If you were middle class, you might've had the world book. If you were upper middle class, you might've had the Britannica. And if it wasn't in there, you were, you, you, then you could go to the library, I guess, but you usually didn't want to. So you just kind of lived in ignorance. But now in the last 20 years, because of when we live, we can know anything there is to know simply because of when we live. And in the last 10 years, since the, since the iPhone, I mean, you could be at the middle of dinner and you begin to have a small argument with someone in your family. And you say, well, I believe this is when this thing happened. They said, no, it happened five years later. And you're like, well, we're going to know right now. Any of you guys do that? You had those little iPhone arguments. We're looking it up. Claire and I'll be watching a show and we'll see some actor or actress. We're like, how old are they? How old is Heather Locklear? And then Claire will say, Claire will say, hey, last service it was Pamela Anderson and it just felt weird to say it. And, and so, uh, <laughs> but we'll say, how old is Heather Locklear? And then Claire will say, I think, she, I, gosh, I think she's 57. I, say, I think she might be 61. And we just look it up right then because we can, because of when we live. So much of life is, is a matter of where you were born and when you were born and then who you were born to. Because I was born to parents that loved each other and stayed married. Uh, they, because of that, I immediately was given a certain set of advantages. Uh, that anyone that's, that's got parents that, that, that stay married, live in a stable home with stable people, your odds of graduating high school just went up. Your odds of graduating college just went up. Your odds of ever abusing drugs just went down. Your odds of, 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 of early promiscuity just went down because I was born to parents that loved each other, were stable and stayed married, had great advantages because my dad had a PhD, has a PhD. My mom went to, had a master's degree. Because of that, it just set me up on a, on a course where one day I too would have a master's degree. That was just kind of a, a culture of education simply because of who I was born to. Because I was born to, I, I went to good schools and lived in safe neighborhoods. And, and my parents taught me about Jesus from an early age. And so simply because of where I was born, when I was born, and who I was born to, I was given a certain set of advantages. See, it'd be, it, it would have been different had I been born in Somalia. 
things would look different. If I'd been born in, in Dallas uh, in, in, in 1876 versus 1976, things would have looked different. If I'd been born to uneducated parents who were addicted to drugs and alcohol, my, my life definitely would have looked different, but because of when I was born, where I was born, and who I was born to, I received a lot of advantages that a lot of people haven't received. And here's the truth. When we think about the advantages that we've received, denial rooted in pride would be intellectually dishonest. There's something inside of us when we hear about that, hey, you've received some advantages, there's something inside of us that says, no, that's not true. Well, there's something inside of us that, that wants to, to upplay all of the challenges we faced and downplay all of the advantages we've been given so that we can be the hero of our own story. And so it's really pride that says it was all about me. I did all of this. God, if you have your Bibles, look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8, 17. God knows this is our wiring. He says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced the wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant. So here's the thing, all good things come from God and so it's this pride thing that makes us wanna deny it, but if we're intellectually honest, it's just, it's just true that we, we've received a great number of advantages. Now I listen. I do understand that everybody has a struggle. And pastor in this church, last 15 years, one thing it's shown me is no matter how great some aspects of some family's life might be, that everybody, every family has some real struggles. Everybody has some struggles. No one's life is all advantage. And no one's life is all disadvantage. And I understand that some people manage to do a whole lot with less advantages. And some people manage to squander and waste a great many advantages. Uh, but to, to, to deny the fact that I've received a great many advantages is, is to be intellectually dishonest. See, uh, here's the thing. We understand that we all want to give our kids every possible advantage, right? So Teddy, our little six-year-old, and, and, and any of you that know his story, know that his first few years of his life, he had many a, a challenge before we uh, adopted him and our family. And, and so I'm really committed for these, these little guys to do all I can to give them every possible advantage. And it's causing me to do some things that I've always just thought were stupid. I, I've always kind of looked at the whole like club sports thing, like you guys are wasting your time and your money. And, and But Teddy, our little six-year-old, played his first year of, of soccer, kind of in the regular little Great Basin Soccer League last year, and he just has a natural ability. And so me, I, I'm, and, I, and I feel like a, a dummy to say it out loud, I'm, I've got my six-year-old in this little club soccer team. And, and I'm like, that's some dumb stuff. What are you, what's wrong with you, Dave? But, but, but here it is. I want to do everything I can to give him every possible advantage. And, and so we see that with our own kids, but when it comes to the advantages we've received, our, our, our tendency is to downplay those. But, but here's the truth. If you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof overhead, and a bed to sleep in, you are richer than five billion people in the world. You're in the top 25% of wealthy people. If you have any money in the bank, some money in your wallet or just some spare change in a jar, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. If you completed high school, you have more education than 2.7 billion people. 
You're not just rich, you are rich and smart. If you completed college, you have more education than nearly seven billion people on the planet. If you've never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pangs of starvation, you're better off than 500 million people in the world today. What we're doing right now, attending a worship service, without the fear of harassment or torture or death, we find ourselves in a situation different from three billion people on the planet. That simply choosing to worship in a way that is not authorized by the government could cause them to risk the torture of, of, of uh, risk, risk torture or death. And so personally, to deny that we've received a great many advantages is really intellectually dishonest. When I think about our situation as a church and, and just the way we've been, been blessed, the advantages we have, simply I, I think about all the incredibly gifted people that God's brought to Life Church. I've never, I've never been at a church with so many just people that love Jesus and have real gifts and abilities that they want to maximize for his kingdom. And now think about our location where we find ourselves in the middle of this fast-growing area, the only church with a campus all, all from, from South Meadows Parkway all the way until you get to Geiger Grade, people moving in as fast as you can. And, and there's an incredible uh, advantage that, that comes with that and, and, and the financial resources at this church. Uh, uh, unbelievable generosity from, from people that have been unbelievably blessed. And so when I think about these advantages, here's the truth. Part of me gets very excited about it. I'm like, wow, we've been blessed, and I'm just grateful. But then soon after, what, what happens is, is there's this kind of sober-minded understanding, recognizing that, that if to whom much is given, much is required, that, that there's now this, this holy stewardship that, that God's given us, that, that we, we've, we've, we must be wise with, that there's this holy obligation that comes with this, that to whom much is given, much is required. I think about just as a nation, just the, the, the blessed nation, we live with lots of advantages, that we live in the most powerful and influential nation in, in the world. And so for us to think that our life would be the same had we grown up in Somalia, where, where the per capita income is $130 a year. Most of us will make by noon tomorrow first four hours of our day, what people in Somalia make in a year. To think that our life would be the same if I was born there, not here, is just intellectually dishonest. Or in Burundi, where the per capita income skyrockets all the way up to $280 a year, still less than a dollar a day. Or Sierra Leone, $540 a year, now it's $1.50 a day. It's, it's intellectually dishonest to deny that, that, that we have, are some of the most advantaged people that have ever walked on the planet. Even just the, the, all the spiritual resources available to us. There's never been a time where we had access to all of the Bible study tools that we have access to online. There's never been a time where you could listen to the greatest preachers in the world round the clock. We, we, we are some of the most advantaged people that have ever lived. But here's the truth. Some people feel bad about all of these advantages. And there's even people that will, will tell you that you should feel bad about it and, and even say phrases like, you need to check your privilege. Now, I do enjoy saying that to my children. <laughs> I, now listen, you need to check your privilege and then they will blame me for creating all of their privilege. And then I, then I do feel the shame. But gratitude is a better response than shame. 
First Chronicles 29, verse 12 says, David's leading his people in this moment of incredible generosity. He says, wealth and honor come from you. You're the ruler of all things. And your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Do I feel bad about the fact that I grew up in America? No, not Somalia. I don't feel bad at all. I didn't make that choice. Do I feel bad that I grew up in a safe neighborhood? I don't. Do I feel bad that I was born to stable, educated parents? I, I absolutely don't. See, gratitude is a better response than shame, but it can't simply stop there. It can't stop with just gratitude. Because here's the truth. Stewardship is the right way to live. Now listen, if you are prone to the sin of a judgmental heart, just raise your hand. If that's you, if you're judgmental, statistically about 25% of you are, so now others of you are self-aware or just liars and just or li- whatever. And so... Uh, If you're real judgmental, don't listen right now. Um, But here's the truth. There was a time in my life where if I were to look at somebody that had a lot less than me, maybe a homeless person, that where my instinct would be, man, if if you you just need to get off your butt and you need to get a job and work hard, and not that there's not measures of some of that truth, but I, I would look at people that had less than me and I would look at people that knew less than me and I would think that they were just less than me. Which is really our instinct. It's called haughty eyes. God hates it. But our instinct is, is to look at those that have less or know less and just think that they are less. But, but here's the truth. When, when I think about the advantages I've received, it, what, the reality is I'm not better I'm simply more accountable. See, there's, there's, really this, there's really this upside. There's really this downside to this upside. That with every advantage we've received, God simply says, yeah, to whom more is given, more is required. It doesn't make you better. It simply makes you more accountable. It simply gives you more responsibility. They're simply more expected. And so to to realize this sobering truth that we're among the most advantaged people that have ever lived, what that means is that that, that more is expected of us than almost anyone that's ever lived. It's really this sobering truth that that when it sinks in, it really begins to, 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 to cause some deep thinking. I'm not better, I'm simply more accountable. Here's the next truth. What do I what do I do with these advantages? I must maximize them for kingdom purposes. Matthew 25, another story where Jesus is talking about what's gonna happen when he returns and the final judgment and all of these things. Another story about this. He says, again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. See, what happens, when I think about these advantages I've received, whether because of when I was born, where I was born, to who I was born, the abilities God's given me, the freedom I experienced in this country, the knowledge I I have, when I think about it, the reality is what I I become is a steward. And so Jesus tells this story. There was a man, there was a master, and he he, he gave these resources to, to his servants. He entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. We see here that, that the, the, the level of advantage with each of these, one gets five, one gets two, one gets one, they're not the same. 
You look here at verse 19, the master comes back and he says, and after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought back the other five. So the one with five, he maximizes it. He doubles his money. He takes it from five and now he's got 10. He maximizes. The nature of stewardship is this. I recognize that I've been entrusted to care for something, to manage something by someone else. It still belongs to them. I've been given it to manage and I manage it according to them their priorities. And so this, this, this master, he says, here's five. And he says, steward it well. He takes five and he gets five more. He received, and the master, he said, you've entrusted me with five. I gained five more. Master replied, well done. You maximized it. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the guy with the two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two. See, I've gained two more. So, so he didn't start off with the same amount, but proportionally he did the same, he did the same amount of faithfulness. One, the five guy doubled it to five more. The two guy doubled it to two more. His master said, well done, good and faithful. You've been a faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few. I'll put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. But then the one who received one bag of gold, the thing is, what he did is he hoarded it. He, he was scared to do anything with it. And so that one was still just one. He says, I, I, I was afraid and went out and I hid the gold in the ground. He didn't maximize it. So here's what belongs to you. The master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed and that you should have put the money. He says, man, you didn't. I gave you this thing to take care of, to steward, to manage it well, to maximize it, and, and you didn't. The, the one guy had five, got five more. The one guy had two, got two more. The guy with one, you've still just got one. You didn't maximize it. And, and so when I think about the advantages I've been given, I need to think, how am I going to steward these well? How am I going to maximize this, not for my priorities, but for God's priorities? They belong to him. He's given them to me to manage according to his priorities. As I steward it. I use it to glorify God, to advance his kingdom. Here's the next thing. When I think about these advantages, I must be willing to lay them aside for those with less advantages. Genesis chapter 12, we see this moment, God's blessing Abraham, he's blessing Abraham like he'd never blessed anyone before and maybe after all of these blessings. But, but here's what God says, Genesis 12 too. He says, I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you, make your name great so that you will be a blessing. It's this whole principle that when we're blessed, it's not so that we can make much of ourselves. It's not primarily when God blesses us, when we receive these advantages in life, it's not primarily so that, that we can live a more comfortable life or a more secure life or a more convenient life. He, he says, Abraham, I'm blessing you and that you now will be a blessing. It's God's blessing is never just for us. It's never so we can make much of us. There, there's always th this aspect of sharing. That's, and, and here's the thing. When we lay aside our advantages, when we share our advantages to help the disadvantage, what we're doing is we're reflecting God's heart. In Psalm 68, verse five, it gives a couple of names of God. He says, a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God and his holy dwelling. See, it really was thinking about verses like this, this idea to who much is given, much is required, that, that really got clearer, and I think in a few years ago, 
uh, of just how blessed we are materially, but also just the blessing of, of just a family that loves each other. And there really was kind of this sober-minded thinking of, all right, if, we've been, if we have been given so much and now so much is required, well, what is it, how does that affect our lives? And it was really through wrestling with some of that, that, that God led us to begin to explore foster care and adoption and, and that whole journey. But it was really recognizing that we've, not, we've been blessed, not just for us, but that we can also be a blessing. And, and as we, we who are more advantaged share, lay aside our advantages to help those who are less advantaged, we're really just living out God's heart. Really what we're doing is we're painting a picture of the gospel. Let me show this to you. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. See, what did Jesus do? Jesus, who who, who had all there was to have, Experiencing all of the wonders and glories of deity, all the wonders and glories of heaven. He, he being rich, became poor, came, born as a little baby, born, born that he might live the life of just in a poor family in Israel 2,000 years ago so that he might grow up and die in our place. It says he who was rich became poor so that we who, who are poor might become Rich. We see another picture of this, Philippians 2, verse 3. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, not just living for yourself, but each of you to the interests of others. And your relationships have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, who had everything, all the glories of heaven, the wonders of deed, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So here it is. Jesus laid aside all of his advantages so that he might come and save us who were just caught in every, we were spiritually dead, caught in our own sin, deserving the full wrath of God. Jesus laid aside his advantages. He being rich became poor so that we being poor might become rich. And so here's what I want to challenge you with. I want to challenge you just to make it a a regular part of your spiritual practice to, to ask God, what does it mean in your life that to whom much is given, much is required? Because here's the truth. I want our, our instinct is to think that God's talking to somebody else. Oh, those people that to whom much is given, oh, those are those people that, that, that have the lakefront property on Lakeshore Drive and Incline Village. Oh, yeah, those people have a lot of responsibility. When he says to whom much is given, much is required, he's talking about us. When he says that it's hard for, for it's, it's, it's as hard for the rich to enter in the kingdom of heaven as it is for a camel to, to go through the eye of a needle, when he talks about the rich people in the Bible, He's for sure talking about us. When he says that that many of the first will be last, he's for sure talking about us. 
And, and so I, I wanna challenge you to make it a regular part of your spiritual practice to say, God, all right, I, I have received many advantages. What does it mean that now much is required? And God, I am among the richest people that have ever lived. What do, what do you want me to do with that? And God, I recognize in many ways I've gone first many times in this life. What do you want me to do with that? Let's pray. So Father, we're grateful. Lord, we confess every good thing comes from you. And that it wasn't our choice that we were born in this place at this time and all of the things that come with all of that. But God, I pray that you'd show us, Lord, what it, what it means to be faithful stewards, to be wise managers, to make the most of the things you've entrusted us with that still belong to you, that we would manage them according to your priorities, that we'd seek to maximize them for your kingdom impact. God, I pray that this sobering truth would be real to us, that to whom much is given, much is required. And God, we do thank you for Jesus. He, being rich, became poor so that we, in all of our spiritual bankruptcy, could become rich, could become your sons and daughters. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.